there are a lot of people asking questions today about the Christian and his or her responsibility to the government. And so our message today is simply about God and government. Let me ask you as we get started today, what is to be the Christian's response, uh, the Christian's duty to his or her government? I believe that as we look carefully into the Word of God, we will have some answers here, some responses that we should espouse as a child of God. And now some people have the erroneous idea that if you get involved in government, then you are involving yourselves in a, a sort of a social gospel. And therefore, that individual might just kind of take the uh, a sit it on the sideline approach. I respect and I love those believers, but I certainly do not believe that is true according to Scripture. Just to sit and to wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back. Other Christians perhaps uh, do not involve themselves with government or its issues because they are sort of intimidated between the argument of, of church and state. Listen, we must not dribble out. It is impossible to think that God would have ordained government and then told his people to stay out or just to sit out. On the other hand, there are sincere Christians who have maybe what we might call misguided zeal, and they want to turn their churches into uh, political precincts and uh, try to bring about the kingdom of God by political efforts. Well, that can't be done either. We can't use our government to wage holy war against the heathen as such. We have to defend ourselves. Well, where do we get the answers to what the Christian is to be and what the Christian is to do when it comes to government? Well, I believe we have some answers before us today as we will look at the Word of God and compare Scripture with Scripture. We don't want to be quick to run to some talking head or uh, some political guru, uh, some individual who merely has an axe to grind, but rather we want to get our answers from the Bible. Okay, then so what does the Word of God have to say about government? Well, the Word of God teaches us that God has ordained human governments. If you read Romans chapter 13 in the New Testament, you will find out that the powers that be are ordained of God and that God sets up human government. Someone may query at this point and say, well, what about wicked governments? Did God set up wicked governments? Well, it may surprise you to find out the answer is yes. Yes, he did. Now, that does not mean they are God's will. In the greater sense, God much rather have righteousness, but people get the government by and large they deserve. Let me give you some Bible verses here to write down and to consider briefly together. The first would be Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21. Here is what the prophet Daniel said, speaking of God. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. According to that verse, God is the one who removes and sets up kings. Do you remember that there was once upon a time a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar? Daniel was speaking to Nebuchadnezzar and he said in Daniel 2 verses 37 and 38, Thou, O king, art a king of kings. 
That is, he was acknowledging him that he ruled over a a world empire. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. So it was the God of heaven that gave Nebuchadnezzar his kingdom. Verse 38 of chapter 2, And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beast of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he, hath he God, given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. I think it's pretty clear, is it not? Daniel giving the example there. It's, again, God who has ordained these governments. Well, what about Pharaoh? Maybe that would propose a little bit more of a a question, uh, scratch our nog, if you please. What about Pharaoh putting all of those little innocent babies to death? Certainly Pharaoh was a wicked man. Did God have anything to do with his rulership? Romans 9.17 says, The scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. So the scripture tells us that God raised Pharaoh up to bring Pharaoh down. God raised Pharaoh up to bring Pharaoh down. The hidden hand of God is in history. God is behind human government, whether that human government is good or whether that human government is bad, whether you understand it or whether you don't understand it. When Jesus one day stood before Pilate, Pilate struck out his chest and said to Jesus, Don't you understand that I have the power to release you or to crucify you? Pilate was an egotist. He, he suffered with pride and with all of this overwhelming authority that he had. Here's what Jesus said back to Pilate in John 19, 11. Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Referring to God Almighty. God gave the power. He didn't have any power to do this except that God allowed it. Friend, this may be strange to you, but do not think for one moment that God is out of control. Yes, some of these men were evil, and they were wicked, evil, terrible men. Scripture clearly tells us that human government is ordained of God, be it a good government or be it a bad government. In fact, let's look at two basic reasons as we now get into more of the heart of our message now. Two reasons human government is given. Two biblical reasons. Reason number one, according to Romans 13, verses 3 and 4, God tells us here that human government is given to restrain evil. Human government is there as an instrument of God. We often hear people say, you can't legislate morality. Well, that's true. You can't legislate morality. There is no law that can make you a moral individual. There is no law that can make you love me or make me love you. We can't legislate morality. That is why we have to have laws to legislate against immorality. Now digest that fact for a moment. There is no law that can make you love me, so we must have laws to keep you from killing me. You see, that is the purpose of government. Government is here not to make us good, 
Only God can make us good. Rather, government is here to restrain evil. That's why we have a police force. We would have total anarchy if we did not have police. Now, sometimes in restraining evil, the government must take life. Does the government have the right to take life? Well, read Romans 13. The Bible says that the magistrate, the power appointed of God, is to bear the sword, and he is an avenger to execute wrath upon the one who does evil. You see, sometimes these people who parade against a capital punishment and war, they, they hold up these banners, and maybe you've seen them before, and the banner will have a part of the Bible on it. The Bible, you say? Yes. Uh, Exodus 20:13 that says, Thou shalt not kill. These people are really pathetic in their ignorance because they think that verse negates capital punishment, but it does not. They think that verse negates self-defense or just war, but it does not. That verse tells us that you and I do not have a right to take personal vengeance. It's literally saying, thou shalt not murder. It's against murder. Anyone can pick up the Bible and read Exodus 20:13 and read those four simple words, thou shalt not kill, but they fail to read the greater context. If they would just fast forward and go ahead just a couple of chapters to Exodus 22, verses 2 and 3, and there it says, if a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall no blood be shed for him. In other words, if somebody is breaking into your house and you do not know what he is up to and you shoot him in self-defense, well, your blood is not shed for him. All murder is killing, but not all killing is murder. Romans 13.4 speaks of the magistrate as bearing the sword. I read the verse a moment ago. The Bible clearly teaches capital punishment all the way back in the first book of the Bible. In Genesis 9.6 it says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And now these people that quote Exodus 20.13, Thou shalt not kill, again, why don't they go one chapter ahead to Exodus 21 verse 12 where it says, He that smiteth a man so that he die shall be surely put to death. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I've noticed over the years that people often will only pick and choose verses that they want to teach some private interpretation. Some people cite that capital punishment is cruel. Are you more wise and more loving than God himself? Certainly not. Coddling the criminal is cruelty to the community. Some people think that God is too good to punish evil. The truth is just the opposite. God is too good not to punish evil. Sometimes we have to go to war. Are we supposed to love our enemies? Of course, the Bible commands that. We are to love our enemies. We read in Romans 12, it says that we are to do good to those who persecute us. And if our enemy does this or that, we are to pour water on his head, as it were. Uh, that, that is an analogy. That's uh, a picture. We are to pacify him as much as possible. And we are to live peaceably with all men. That's what the Bible says. 
We are not to take vengeance. Now, there is a difference in our personal vengeance and the government going to war or the police force uh, protecting innocent people. So human government is given to us for two basic reasons. Number one, we've established, number one, God gave human government to us to restrain evil. But let's give a second reason that I believe is equally important. Number two, God gave human government to encourage good. You might think of the first as negative, the second as positive. Now, the government cannot make us good, but government can encourage good. The Bible says that we do good, Romans 13, 3. The Bible says that we do good, Romans 13, 3. Uh, the, 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 concerning the governments, we are to, to have praise to do the same. So that is the reason why the framers of our Constitution wrote that we are to provide for the common defense, that, that is, uh, to resist evil and to promote the general welfare. Uh, not to provide it, but to promote it. A government is to give us a place where we can live and work and worship and function and operate. So what are the responsibilities of government and what are the responsibilities of the church? Well, rightly understood, we believe in the separation of church and state. That is rightly understood. We do not want a government church. I do not want the government missing, messing up in, in, in religion of any sorts. They do not know what they are doing when it comes to the church, and frankly, they have no business in the church. The government needs to stay out of the church. Did you know that the phrase separation of church and state is not even to be found in the Constitution of the United States? It's not there. The Constitution simply says in the First Amendment that, quote, Congress will make no law respecting the establishment of religion nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof, end of quote. That is, we are not going to set up a state church. Our founding fathers did not believe for one moment in the separation of God and government. Even the founding of our country is based on a belief in God. The Declaration of Independence says, and I quote, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. End of quote. These men, these framers, a part of the early part of our country, said we don't even quibble about this. We we wholeheartedly agree it all comes from God. Even many of our founding fathers of this great country recognized that it was God who gave us life and liberty at the same time. Take Thomas Jefferson, who was not necessarily an ardent Bible-thumping and Bible-professing Christians, Christian, but he was the principal author of the Constitution. He, he said one time, he said, I have sworn by the altar of God to stand against all tyranny over the human mind. It, it, it began with Jefferson. So we believe in the separation of church and state in that we do not want a state-mandated church, but we do not believe in a separation of God and government. They recognize that. Our founding fathers did not, and those who went before us did not. This is why we have on our coinage even today, in God we trust. 
This is the reason that Congress opens with prayer. That is the reason we still salute old glory and say one nation under God. Abraham Lincoln said, I believe it is the duty of nations as well as men to own their dependence on the overruling power of God. Now, people don't like the idea of God and government because it kind of cramps their style and they want to live in their own sin and enjoy it. Just the idea of God makes it uncomfortable for them to go and do their own agenda. Well, what are we to do? So this brings us from the place of looking at what God, why God gave government to now what we are to be in relation to the government that God has given. What are we to do? Write down number one. We are to pray for our government. Prove it to me? Yes, I can. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1, 2, and 3. Paul wrote, I exhort therefore that, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So we need to pray for leaders even if they are wrong. The Bible says in Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, as the rivers of water he turneth it whithersoever he will. Sometimes God will change a ruler. Sometimes God will remove a ruler. Sometimes God will override a ruler. Again, wicked leaders are God's reward for wicked people. America gets the kind of leadership it deserves. The Bible speaks of God's people in the Old Testament, and it says of them that he, that is he, God, gave them the desire of their hearts, but sent leanness to their soul. The people said they want thus and such, and God said, if that is what you want, then that's what I'm going to give you, but you will not have my blessing. Not only do we need to pray for our government, number two, write down, we need to pay our taxes. I know we don't really like to think about this, especially around April 15th. The Bible clearly teaches this. Jesus said we are to render tribute to whom tribute is due. The word tribute would be the counterpart of the idea of income tax today. Jesus paid taxes. God teaches that it is our part to pay taxes. Number three, we need to be patriotic. Today it's getting a little old-fashioned sometimes to be patriotic, uh, but I still believe we should salute the American flag of the United States. This is my country and I love it, and I'm going to put it first. If you're listening to me and you're from another country, Spain, Germany, wherever it might be, put your country first. There is nothing wrong with patriotism. The Bible says that we are to honor the king, give honor to whom honor is due. When our government does right, we are to let them know. When our government does wrong, we are to let them know. Don't think for one moment that just because we are loyal-blooded Americans that we have somehow been disenfranchised. Christians must speak up and speak out for the truth. 
Yes, we will have to say things at times that are political in nature. In fact, I guess just about everything we think about is in some way political, murder, capital punishment, abortion, homosexuality, adultery. It's all political. What can you talk about that is moral and does not in some way have political implications? Think about it. Nathan warned King David. Elijah preached to Ahab. Daniel preached to Nebuchadnezzar. Moses was God's prophet to Pharaoh. John the Baptist preached to Herod. And as long as they are killing babies, I'm going to speak up and say something because abortion is murder. Jesus says we are to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar and unto God that which is God's. And our Caesar is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And if you and I do not participate, then I believe we are disobeying the Lord. We're disobeying what God would have us to do. Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. You see, the tragedy in America is the bad citizenship of good people. Sometimes we think it's too late and we just give up and we want to throw in the towel. Well, that's precisely what the devil wants us to do. But I'm here to tell you today, it is never too late. Regardless of who is in office, it is never too late. God can do great and wonderful things even today. You and I must trust him. We must obey his word. We must pull together as believers and be the right kind of God-fearing citizens. Let's pause now to pray and thank God for our country. Our Father, we thank you for America. We pray for it right now in a very special way. Help us, Lord, not to be a part of the problem as Christians, Lord, but help us to be a part of the solution. I pray that you would help us to find ourselves in complete agreement and total obedience to what your word says. We pray for those in places of authority. May they lead and guide our country in a way that honors and pleases you. Thank you most of all, Lord, that as, as Christians, we have your son, Jesus Christ, who is to be the ruler and leader in our life. We submit to him. Thank you for Jesus and what he did for us, of which we could not do for ourselves. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.